Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And I would like for part four of Hope Fully to invite my lovely wife back up here with me. And uh, because uh, I feel woefully inadequate to address moms, but I think a mom of seven maybe has something to say. And uh, so obviously, babe, you're an awesome mom. So thank you for being so amazing. And, uh, but if, uh, if you've got your version app open, if you've got your bulletin that we gave you on the way in, we are going to go ahead and, and get into uh, the fourth part of the series that we're currently in the middle of, which is called Hope Fully. And we have been looking at this concept that life isn't fully lived if hope isn't fully embraced. That we have to fully embrace hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If there's no hope in our hearts, if we're not grabbing a hold and saying, you know what, God's got something good for me, God's at work in my life and the life of the people I care about, and there's hope there, then there's no faith that, that comes along with that. And we're called to be people of faith. We're called to, be, to live by faith. And hope is a key part of that. And we need to hope fully, not just a little bit, not just a little on the side, but we need to hope fully. In fact, Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful so therefore we can hold on. We can hold unswervingly. Maybe have you ever seen anybody have an idea of what it looks like to hold unswervingly? So we were going over this last night and I said you know a few years ago well it's like 21 years ago. <laughs> so a few years ago, being 21 years, um, Brandon and I took a missions trip. We took some of the youth group um, to Guatemala. Now, I have not ever been, I've been treated like I was, we were in Guatemala. We had our own tour, like passenger buses, tour bus, whatever you want to call it. It was they, nice. Huh? It was nice. It was nice. And they were air conditioned and now, be it that I'm extremely blonde, I had to sit on the inside. I was not allowed to sit by the window because that would attract too many people and they would want to touch me. And if any of you know, that doesn't work. So I was kept inside. Anyway, so we're constantly, we stayed kind of far out from where we were going back and forth. And so <clears throat> one of the things that I noticed and we talked about quite a bit were that our buses just had us in it, and we had some room, and it was stretched out, and we had air conditioning and all those kind of things. But everybody else, were they took school buses and painted them up, and then they stuck as many people on that bus as they could get. There was not sitting room. There was not standing room. There, it was packed. If you thought there was room, somebody was standing there. And so... One day we were driving on the highway and all of a sudden the bus in front of us, the school bus in front of us stops and they pick up some more people and I'm like, they do not have any space. And I'm going to tell you, like eight people were hanging on to the outside of that bus. That they were going to go. They were going to be included. And so 
we were just in shock of that. And we were talking about it. Everybody on the bus was like, oh, my gosh. And we were counting, trying to count how many people they got inside the bus and how many were hanging outside the bus. And there were some chickens on the bus. I mean, I'm telling you, everybody was getting a ride. And all of a sudden, we saw this vision, and I was like, I don't think I saw that right. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we were like, we, it was a family of five on a moped. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, those kids, there was the dad in front, he was driving, the mom was in back, and there were three kids. I don't understand families of five. I only know seven or nine. <laughs> so there were three kids in the middle. I'm going to tell you, that woman was holding on unswervingly. Those babies weren't going anywhere. Five, family five on a moped. It was wild. It was wild. Five on a moped. I wonder if we get our nine on a moped. We can one no. up them. <laughs> and try. You don't, you don't trust me to drive, do you? No. <laughs> I ride in the car with you. That's enough. Our kids don't just need good role models. They need good hope models. Our job is to model for our children how to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. They have to see it. They have to be in it with us. They got to be in on the nitty gritty and watch us and experience us holding on to the hope of Jesus. They do. Uh, kids have to see that. And they're, they're watching every little piece of our lives. They're watching how we interact and watching how we connect. And, and they have their own little filters. And kids, they, because they have limited experience, they, they build their own little autocorrect. And they begin to kind of adjust things. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, y'all, uh, Cutie was out um, having to take care of Pressy, our five-year-old. And uh, she had, we'd taken her to the doctor. And she had a strep throat and a little bit of pneumonia. Uh, but she had never heard strep throat. She didn't understand that. So she had her own autocorrect, and she, she repeated what made sense to her, that she had straight neck and Ramonia. And so, and because uh, strep throat meant nothing to her, but straight neck is like, oh, it hurts over here. There you go. That's what I've got. And so, but they, they've got limited experience, and they're, they're interacting with us that we're dealing with complex issues and lots of different things going on. And they see it through the little childlike eyes, and they can tell one of two things. They can tell if there is a seed of hope in our hearts, or they could tell if we're beginning to fall into a place of despair. And no matter what else is going on, they can read those things. They might not understand all of the other ins and outs and complexities of the drama that, that we as adults are dealing with. But they can tell how it's affecting our soul. They can begin to tell if it's beginning to tear us down and to, and to beat us down. Or if there's this place that in spite of the hardships and in spite of the difficulty, there's this place of hope in our lives. Um, Years ago, if you've been around to Celebration Church, you know that before we started Celebration Church, um, then we were in ministry in, here in San Angelo, and we um, were involved in, uh, we had uh, some real estate and some different things, and, and God began to move in our heart that it was time for us to sell everything, and we had five kids at the time, so there were seven of us, and to travel around the U.S. and spend six months to a year uh, visiting churches and just letting God grow within the two of us 
um, the vision for the kind of church God was going to ask us to lead. We had no idea where we were going to land. We had no idea where we would go. We honestly thought we would maybe drive into a city and God would just say, this is it. This is the city I'm calling you to. And, and so we had to sit down and have that conversation with our children. Hey, guess what? Um, we're selling everything. We're buying a motorhome and we're going to travel around. And so, uh, you know, we're going to homeschool you. I mean, we're going to motorhome school you. And so, and, and we're going to be uh, living on the road and traveling all these different things because we believe God has asked us to do this. And, you know, and along the way, we had some great adventures and did Disney and all of that. And that was a neat experience where they got to see this, this place where we we're like, okay, God's calling us forward. We don't fully understand it. But, man, we're, everything's on the line. We're putting everything on the line, and we'll, we'll, we'll sell it all, and we'll, we'll move forward, and we're going to follow God. And, and God ended up bringing us right back here, and we started Celebration Church, and we've been moving forward for, for t- over 10 years now. And, um, and so, but that was a neat experience. But right after we got Celebration Church started, um, then uh, the, the youngest, Carson, was five years old, at the, six years old at the time. And anyways, we... Uh, uh, find out that um, we're pregnant. We were expecting. And so um, we had always been very purposeful about that. And with the first, fi- <laughs> the first five, and then it was like, woohoo, here we are. And so um, anyways, it wasn't on the original plan, but we were like, okay, bless God, we're excited about this. And, and so we had to have another sit down and talk to the kids and say, guess what? There's going to be another sibling come along. And so when uh, Keenan was eight when, his, when Carson was born, uh, well, now he's a teenager. Um, between eight and being a teenager, we had the talk. And so all of a sudden, it was a different conversation with teenage kids you know, that they were, you're expecting. It was just a different dynamic and different thing at work. And so then everybody kind of rallies and we're excited. Um, and then it, uh, well, things did not go the way we wanted them it to go. It, we lost that baby. And so we had never walked this out. And I know that there are a lot of families in this room that have walked that out. But this was our, this was our first experience with this. And we did not... I mean, for the two of us, we didn't know how to do it, but we sure didn't know how to lead five little ones through something like this. And we're trying to cope with the loss and the devastation that it brought to us. And then one day I looked at Brandon and I said, we can't stop here. We have to have another baby. And... I'm going to tell you the easy thing at that moment was to just not put myself out there for that. But when I heard the Lord say, you have to go forth, you have to have a baby, I knew exactly. It wasn't just for myself, and yes, I did want another one. For sure. But my older kids, their thing, that the one memory they were going to be able to look back on when they got married and were starting families was death. They were so in age, they were so much closer to being at that stage of their life than they were back when we were having their siblings, the first five and all their siblings, that they were going to be the most familiar with loss. And so I could not do that to them. And I sat down with Kenan in Brooklyn one night in the living room. We were talking and I brought this up, and Keenan was like, Mom, we're fine. We're fine. Five is good. We're fine. 
Mom, five is good. We're fine. <laughs> and Brooklyn was like, Mom, no. And I said, guys, I need you to hear me. I can't let loss be the first thing, the most familiar thing in your mind. You can look at all of your siblings and go, yeah, we had them. But what you're going to remember and what's going to be the most personal and the, the experience that we all walked together was the loss, not a win. And so that became something that Jesus and I had, we had to come together meeting. Basically, it was me coming to Jesus because I was afraid. I was afraid of if I did this again, what was I opening myself up to? What was I opening them up to? But at the same time, if I didn't, I knew exactly where it would be for them. And as a mom, I could, I could not, I couldn't do that. No. And so and our, our hearts were opened as soon as we found out that we were pregnant that, that time. And we were excited. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, our hearts were open and we were ready for another child. But there was another dynamic of thinking about our kids walking through this with us. And at first, for initially, it was always just about the two of us and us being on page together and us doing that. But there was this another place where, you know, there was a, there was a family decision and this was a standing in faith. And, um, I, you know, I'd love to stand up here and tell you that it was uh, it, we walked it out. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, everything was great. But um, we went through two, uh, two more uh, difficult losses and um, across before everything was said and done. And, of course, you see our two little ones, Colin and Pressy, running around here, a little gifts from God. And, um, but this was, this was something that we walked out and we held on to hope as a family and said, you know what, God is a God who blesses family and children are a blessing from the Lord and we're going to walk this out together and it was not easy and there were some difficult moments through this, but we walked it out together. Um, Hebrews 6.18 says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Hope is the root of us being encouraged. It's hope. Hope in Christ is where our encouragement comes from. You can kind of try to psych yourself up a little bit and kind of try to tell yourself you can do it and you can handle it. Well, then it all starts to crumble at the edges. Well, then there that goes. But when we are on the rock, our firm foundation of Jesus and our life is built on him, then even when the, the storms and the waters rage and all those kinds of things, we're not built on us. We're built on him and he is faithful. And then we can, in the middle of it, stay encouraged it goes on to say that we have this hope as an anchor to the soul firm and secure your soul your mind your will your emotions need an anchor and as we as 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 adults begin to model this for our children that yes there's ups and downs and twists and turns and they're tough but we can hold on and stay encouraged through it all and be a hope model for our children in Mark 7, 3 through 8, it says, The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they, gave their, unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
when they ca- when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups pitchers and kettles so the pharisees and the teachers of the law asked jesus why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands he replied isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. That you've let go of what you're supposed to hold on to, the real source of hope. And you've let go and you've held on to mere human traditions. We need to make sure that in this walk with God thing that we are teaching our kids to hold on to God himself, to Jesus, that relationship. And not just... Some sort of religious practice. See, we will either, as people who go to church and make this kind of life something that's, that's important, we will either pass on rituals or we will pass on relationship. And we need to make sure that we pass on relationship. Church attendance and Bible reading and all those different things that are good and needed in the relationship with God become a ritual and can be reproduced rituals if we don't keep the relationship part key. It's so easy that we can have our kids begin to do something that they don't understand why they're doing it. If we don't pass on, why it's making a difference in our lives. It makes me think about the story that's gone around that the granddaughter's making lunch and she cuts off the ends of the ham. And somebody says, why did you do that? And she was like, my mom did it. So she goes to her mom and says, why do we cut off the ends of the ham? And she says, well, my mom did it. And so the granddaughter goes to the grandmother and says, hey, Grandma, why do we do this? She goes, my pan wasn't big enough. I had to cut it off so it would fit. And we can do that. We can end up that we watch and we see what's going on and see, man, the result was so good. I want that. And begin to, to copy these different things. But if we don't understand the why of it, then all of a sudden we don't impart the why. All we're passing on is rituals. That's all we're passing on. We need to make sure we pass on the relationship part of it. We can hope fully when we know the source of our hope. We have to know it. It's not just know it, but it's know it. We know it. And we pray that our children will know him better. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul writes, and, and I, I feel like this is just a, a mother's heart that's at work here. He says, for, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. He says, that's what I want. I want you to have a relationship with God. I want you to let the spirit of God be at work in your life so you can know him better. Not so that you can listen to Paul better. So you can know him better. In Matthew twenty two twenty nine 29 says, Jesus replied, You are in error 
because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That we live in error when we don't know fully who our God is and his power. Our children need to know the fullness of all Jesus has done. For me as a mom, when I was thinking about that, I was like, I want my kids to know him. I want them to know him. Not just, oh yeah, we follow Jesus. But I want them to know him, that he's their savior. He's their own savior. He's not, my, yes, he's my savior. But they don't have a relationship with him because he's my savior. I want them to have their relationship with him. I want them to know that he's their healer, that he's their comforter. When we have moments where we are not quite sure what we're supposed to do, that we've lost that peace, that he's the one that we invite into that situation to have that peace again. I want them to know that he's their provider. Yes, they have to have a job. Yes, they have to make money. But he's the one who gives it. He's the one. And I want them to know above all that he's their friend, that he's not their punisher. He's their friend. He's their Lord. He's their everything. I want them to know that. This is why we continue to learn about all that Jesus has done for us and living, and we live trusting him more. When I went this morning to wake Colin up for church, which is very odd, normally she beats me, but this morning I got the honor, and I really know it was a touch from Jesus because she, I said, Colin, it's time to wake up, and she says, good morning, Mom, and just kind of rolls over, just like I do. Hello. And um, I said, Colin, it's church day. We have to get up. We have to get ready for church. And she sits up and she said, can I have a hug? And so I hugged her, which was just a moment. She goes, I love following Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, yes. It wasn't prompted. It wasn't anything. It was, hey, get up. We got to go. And she just takes that moment to just remind me that she sees it, that she knows it for herself. It's not come here to see my friends, which, yes, that's a bonus. But I love following Jesus. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We have a hope. But if we don't know the hope, we're, we're going to miss it. We have a glorious inheritance. But if we don't know it, we're going to miss it. We will find ourselves needlessly hopeless. We find ourselves needlessly hopeless all the time because we have all the hope we ever need in Christ. Now, most of you share your, your, your heritage stories. You tell the, the stories of your family and growing up and your grandparents and all of those different things. And so Cutie and I, we, we share and we've, we've talked about the, our growing up years and stories when we were kids and when, when our parents were kids and our grandparents were kids. And, and they can recite some of those stories um, uh, back to us. Uh, they know and remember about me talking about my my dad's mom 
teaching them how to pole vault in the backyard and, uh, and uh, my papa picking weeds and grabbing a baby uh, rattlesnake and about Cutie's papa and the story about when, how he lost his finger and, and her doing all her roller skating there at their house in Hobbs, New Mexico. They know those stories, but they also, they also know the stories of of us coming to Christ and, and how we said yes to Jesus and, and the stories of us, of us uh, walking this thing out with God. And they need to know all of those places. Not just the fun, silly family stories, but they need to know the, the God stories. And, and I encourage you to, to share those, to make sure that those things are imparted. You know, And all of us with our testimonies, a lot of them, you know, they're kind of rough. And when they're young, you keep them age appropriate. You, know? you tell them the G-rated version of you coming to Christ. And, you know? and then as they get a little older and they get a little, get a little more age appropriate, you, know? you give them the PG-13 version you know? and let them know, you know how rough things really were and, and those different things. And let them know, let them know your story and what God has done because they're going to encounter bumps and stuff along the way and they need to see how the mom and dad modeled this and worked this out. We need to be able to see it and share God's power at work in our lives. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 says, And his uncom- incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Our bottom line today is that the next generation needs to hear about the God of all generations. I think it's so amazing when Moses meets God there at the burning bush. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm the God of of the generations. And what we need to do is we need to introduce our children. Maybe the generations start with you. And that's okay. But you talk about how we're going to pass this on. Maybe you've got a heritage of faith like, like I do. And you can be able to, to pass that on. And, and, but you need to, to make sure that our children, the next generation, they hear about the God of all generations. We celebrate moms. And in the secular world, there's been a saying for a long time that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And... We know that in the kingdom of God, it's the hand that rocks the cradle that, that begins to see that, that the kingdom is carried through all the world. And so we need to make sure to pass that on. Hope lets the life of God in us show the life of God through us. And I believe that being who you are and being human before your children, I've, I've, I've made mistakes. There are times I'd like to go back and change them, but yet at the same time, I don't think we would be who we are as deep as we are and as connected as we are had I not made those mistakes and invited them in to walk that out with me. Be who you are. Don't be ashamed. Let them see how you walk with Jesus every day. Unfortunately, my kids have seen a rough side of me walking with Jesus when I want to whip people. But then they've also been right there with me when we've done the nice things. And then there's the days where it's just step by step. 
nothing exciting, nothing special. But those are the moments that they grasp a hold of how to live day by day and how to walk it out with him. So that he can live in us and we can see, show people how he is and our actions. It's how they learn. That's it. Well, moms, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done. But here on this wonderful Mother's Day, I'd like to turn attention to our, our Heavenly Father. And today, um, the scriptures say this is the day of salvation. And if you're here today and maybe you've, you've thought that this life in Christ and this church life and all this, that it, it was about the ritual. It was about the heaven to show up and, and read and pray and do all of these different things to try to undo some of the bad you've done. And today you see that it's not about that. It's about relationship. It's about that God loved us and he pursued us. That God was in Christ reconciling the world, including you, to himself, not counting our sins against us. And that today you believe that that counts for you. So I just want to create a quiet moment here. And if that's you and you just want to say yes to that, you just want to place your faith in Christ this morning, I want you to just raise your hand up this morning and be able to uh, have a wonderful moment for anybody who wants to step over and say yes to Christ. Awesome, wonderful, awesome, yes, and yes, praise God. Believers, I want you to just lift your voice with these. We're going to pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you that you love me so much you sent Jesus. That Jesus' death covers my death. And Jesus' life gives me life. Today I am your child. And you're my father. I thank you that I'm heaven ready right now. And I give you permission to change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, yes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.